Well, we got to uh, part four of our Real Religion series, and we're going to continue in, uh, in, in that series today. Now, when you look at the world around us, uh, one thing that, especially in the last, I would say, 10 years, uh, has come to light a lot more is that there's a lot of corruption in our world. You look at certain nations, and they're really corrupt nations. You look at um, uh, industries and companies, and there's corrupt companies out there, even individuals, like you see sportsmen or sportswomen who kind of cheat to get ahead, or you see politicians who are corrupt, and corruption is everywhere, and this morning what I want to show you, I want to show you the, the top five industries in the United States that are the most corrupt. And so uh, maybe some of you actually work in some of these industries. If you do, then sorry. So the first one, the, the fifth most corrupt industry in the United States is actually the media. So like TV and radio, and you wouldn't think it, but it's actually a really corrupt industry. Uh, they, there's lots of deals that are done, lots of backhanders that are done. Uh, you, you know, there's deals to play so many songs on a radio or advertisements on the TV, and it doesn't always happen and stuff. And so we've seen the fifth most corrupt industry. Number four is construction. Anyone working construction here? No, in first service, we had a bunch of people who work in construction, so they were the corrupt service, you guys of the clean service, right? So, uh, uh, so corruption is in, uh, is in construction a lot of the times because people will bid on jobs and they'll give a figure, but really they're, not, they're lying about the figure of what it is, or they'll make, someone will make a payment, then the work's not done and stuff like that. So there's lots of corruption in uh, construction. Number three on the list is telecommunications. So like your cell phone and uh, who, anyone, anyone still has a landline here? So actually, more this service than first service has a landline. So uh, uh, most people don't uh, have landlines anymore. But you just have to take one look at your Verizon bill. And there's a reason I'm not with Verizon, because they are totally corrupt. You look at that bill and look at all the charges that are on there and stuff. It's like daylight robbery. Number two... Yeah, I'm just getting my feelings out. So, so number two on the list, which I thought would actually be the number one, but it's not. Number two on the list, uh, the most uh, corrupt industries is actually Wall Street and securities and all that money stuff. And uh, you have to see any uh, TV show or movie about Wall Street, and they never talk about the good that Wall Street does. It's always the corruption that goes on. And then the number one industry, and this one actually shocked me, but the number one most most corrupt industry in the United States is the utilities industry. And then I thought about it, and I look at my BGE bill, and I'm like, yeah, they're corrupt. It's like 80 bucks. Like, say it's like $210 uh, bill. 80 bucks is actually like the, the electricity and the gas you use. The rest is fees. Have you seen how many fees are on that thing? It's kind of crazy. But they are the most corrupt industry in the United States. And I'm actually surprised that ba the banking industry isn't on that list, even though the banking industry, I think, is number eight. And the reason I say that is because I saw firsthand in myself how corrupt people can be, especially in the banking industry. 
So when I came out of college, my very first job, I worked at a bank called Lloyd's TSB. Lloyd's TSB is a big multinational bank. They're uh, one of the, the top three banks in the United Kingdom. Uh, they're one of the largest banks in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and in South America. And so my job, I worked in uh, a team called Non-Personal Accounts. It sounds as interesting as, or well, it was as interesting as it sounds. I mean, it was dull. But... Basically, what it was, was we dealt with the bank's own bank accounts. So we had millions of, of pounds, it was, coming in and out of these accounts. And one of the, the jobs for us was that we would be the ones that would say if somebody could get a refund on a bank charge that they've got. And then we would process the refund. So you know when you like you go like $1 overdrawn and they will like charge you like 45 bucks like a day for that? It's like ridiculous. Well, we were the people who decided whether we would refund those monies back to you. And so we had a lot of leverage and uh, they, a lot of trust was, was within us. But I didn't think anyone was doing anything wrong. But then one day, our big like regional boss comes down and he comes into our, uh, our office and it was like lots of cubicles. And he comes into my line of cubicles with two police officers walking towards my desk. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, oh no, what have I done? I'm like, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything. And then he, they walk right past my desk and they walk to the desk of the guy right next to me. His name was Chris. He was a good friend of mine. And they turned to him. They said, pack your stuff up and come with us. What we had found out is that Chris had actually been blackmailed by somebody who wasn't in the banking industry but knew a little about it by somebody uh, who, uh, who, uh, who came to him and they had some dirt on Chris and they said to him, they said, what we want you to do is we're going to give you some account numbers and we want you to just transfer just some refunds to these accounts even though the accounts had never been charged, he wanted to process some of the refunds to them. And so what had happened is it had just been like a couple of $10 charges back. But over time, it got worse and worse and worse. And even though it was a few transactions in the beginning, after several months, it was thousands of dollars every day that he was taking from the bank's own accounts. And he was refunding accounts that should have never had a refund, should have never had money. Um, go into them. And the ironic thing is, is because he sat on my left, on my right, there was like one of the the, the, the most uh, um, well-known Ford experts in the whole, uh, in, in the United Kingdom for the bank industry. And he had no idea what Chris was doing. And so Chris was escorted out, Chris was charged, and I think he got off with some probation or something like that because of his hard-up story because he was blackmailed. But it just showed to me how quick corruption can set in that you start with a little thing and it becomes this big thing because Chris did not wake up one morning and says, you know what, I got a great idea. Let me go and steal some money from a bank. Let me become corrupt and see how far it gets us. And no one decides to be corrupt unless like you're in the mob or something, you know? I mean, then you were like, you want to be corrupt. But corruption starts with a small compromise. 
a small compromise. So what it does, it takes a, a small compromise of your values that you have in your life or the values of a company or the values of an industry and you compromise those values and then suddenly corruption starts to set in and it becomes this slippery slope of corruption. Now when it comes to your relationship with God, Many of you may have seen other Christians or other people, or maybe even yourself, has become corrupt in their soul, in their spirit, in their heart, and in their lives. And the question I have for you today is, what are the values in your relationship with God that are holding your relationship with other, together? And if you compromise those values, then corruption could set in into your heart, and it could be a slippery slope that you would just go down, and you will find yourself well away from God, of God in your life. See, each of us know that there are areas in our lives that if we compromise, it could lead to what I call the slippery slope of corruption. And all of you, you know that there's things in your life that you know that you have some weaknesses that you're pretty weak at. And if you compromise this value, it could lead in this slippery slope. So the Bible tells us in uh, James chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. The scriptures will be on the, on the screen. James chapter 1. And we're going to read a verse that we've been reading all throughout this series, this Real Religion series. And it's found in verse 27. And this is the verse. It says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father is caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And we just dealt with that the last two weeks. And then it says, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So real religion in the sight of God the Father, pure and genuine religion, is refusing to let the world corrupt you. So the key here is to not let your hearts become corrupt. See, I believe that real religion is life-giving and life-changing. Polluted, uh, uh, defiled religion that we see so often around brings uh, just this death to your life. But real religion brings life to your life. And so the key to religion, real religion, is not letting the world corrupt you. Now, that doesn't mean that we just bubble wrap ourselves. You know, there are some people, they bubble wrap themselves. They don't like to go out into the big, bad world, you know. I mean, they'll come to church and they'll leave church. They'll go out with their Christian friends. Then they'll get up and they'll work at their Christian company. And then they'll maybe send their kids to a Christian school. They'll even go on a Christian dating website. You know, I mean, everything is Christian, Christian, Christian. And there's nothing wrong with those. Let me tell you, nothing wrong. However, God has not called us to bubble wrap ourselves. For Jesus told us that if you are a Christian, you are the salt of the earth, meaning you bring the flavor to the earth. He said that you are a, the, the, the light of the world, meaning this world is dark and we are the ones that bring light to this world. So it means that we are to be in the world and, and around the world, but we cannot let the world corrupt us. And corruption in our spirit starts very slowly. It starts by allowing our lives to do something that we either know that God would not take pleasure in or that uh, something that could take hold of our lives. So for you, what may be a slippery slope for you? 
If you compromise a value for you, it may be a slippery slope, but it may not be for me. And what may be a slippery slope for me may not be a slippery slope for you. For example, there's people I know in our church that if they have one sip of alcohol, then it's like this one slippery slope for them, that they cannot have one sip because they know it's going to corrupt their whole life. But then there's other people that have a glass of wine and they're fine. There's other people who they know that if they are alone late at night and they've either got the computer in front of them or they've got the TV, they know it's dangerous because there's certain channels or maybe certain websites that they want to go to and they can't help it. And they know if they are in that situation that they will be a slippery slope for them. But then we have other people, they're up at two o'clock in the morning and they're watching TV and all they're doing is watching like Lifetime or Hallmark or HGTV. You know, I mean, what harm can that do? Except HGTV is really harmful. Just trust me. Because you start looking at it. You want to do all this. You want to do that. You want to do that. You know, I mean, you want to change your house. Uh, it corrupts you. Trust me. I'm, a, I'm a, an example of that. My wife will come to me. Well, let's do this. Let's do that. It corrupts you. Anyway, that's a story for another day. But corruption starts with allowing what is bad to come into your lives at the expense of what is good. And the key to having real religion is found in one word, and that word is goodness. Last week we discussed a scripture that's found in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17. And God tells the people of Israel, learn to do good. He was saying, go get an education in doing good. Uh, Become a student of good. And the reason he said that is because we are sinful human beings and we we are not really good. In fact, sin is in our lives and so we have to learn to do good. And so, goodness is the key to real religion. And even though there's corruption in the world, there is good in the world. And at one time, this world was full of goodness. In fact, God at one time created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says that God said, let there be light, and there was light. Then he created the heavens and the earth. He created the the earth that we live on. He created the seas and the oceans and the mountains. Then he created the, uh, the, the trees and the plants and then the animals. And after God had done all that, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, says, then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So God created the world, and all that was in the world was very good. The world, the world was full of goodness. There was no such thing as corruption. Everything was good. Then a day later, God creates a guy called Adam, who looked a little similar like you and me. Then, out of Adam, he created a lady, a girl called Eve. And they were good. And all that was in them was good. And God said to them, he says, that you can do whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. However, there is a tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden where you are going to live. That is a tree of knowledge, tree of good and evil. He says, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. But the slippery slope of corruption sets in. 
And Adam and Eve went to that tree one day and there was this slippery serpent who tried to corrupt them and deceive them. And they compromised the values that God had set. They ate the fruit. And immediately after they ate the fruit, sin set into their lives. What was good was now corrupt. And what we know about corruption is corruption starts small and then it gets big. And eventually then God comes to them and says, what have you done? You know, where have you gone? Because if you have compromised these values, because you have sinned against me, you will be banished from the Garden of Eden. You will suffer death and stuff. And so now because of what they did, we as human beings are now sinful. We are of the seed of Adam and we have sin in us, in our lives. And so corruption came in. And so if our hearts are not chasing after God, then eventually evil will strike at the root of our hearts and corruption will set in in our hearts and our souls. But yet you look at this world and there's so many good things. God has blessed many of you with good things. We, 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 we look at our community around us. We, we look at the, the world around us. And there's so many good things. And we should not take them for granted. But we should also understand where those good things have come from. James chapter 1 verse 17. He tells us this. He says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So James is saying whatever is good in this world, every good and perfect gift comes from God. If there is goodness in this world, it is because of God. It's not because of what man has done. It's not because of uh, just uh, chance, but it is because of God that there is goodness in this world. Now, the problem for us is there is a battle within our hearts of the goodness of God and the corruption of sin. And corruption has this dirty habit of hiding itself behind what is good And it lies to our emotions and tells us if you do this, it will be good. So, for example, if someone wants to take part in an extramarital affair, that is not good. We know that's not good. But however, this is what corruption does. It says to that person, well, in that relationship, you will find pleasure and you will find maybe companionship and maybe someone who understands who you are. So it lies to us takes what was good, something that we want to feel companionship and we want to feel good, we want want to experience things. It takes what was good and it lies to us and it corrupts our souls. People who watch pornography, for example, in itself, this is what people think is like they see something, they see intimacy or they see the, the, the body of a human being, which in itself is good because God created it. But now corruption comes and twists it. And it makes this perverted, nasty thing that consumes people's lives. People who cheat at work, they want to get ahead because they want to provide for their family. They want to give for their family. They want a better life for their family, which is good. But then corruption says, well, you can do that by cheating. And it corrupts our hearts and our souls. People who don't eat healthy. Food is good, right? Who agrees with me? Food is good. 
I like food. But yet there's certain foods that are not good. And so what corruption does, it tells us, it says, well, food is good. It's good for you to eat food. You'll feel good when you eat good food. When you eat that fried chicken, you'll be like, oh, yeah, it's so good, right? Who's <laughs> getting hungry now? It's like almost lunchtime. But if you eat too much of it or eat too much of the wrong stuff, it's going to be bad for your heart, bad for your body, and eventually it will be bad for your soul as well. See, corruption comes, it takes what is naturally beautiful, and it tries to make it cheap and sexy. Corruption will try to make you take the shortcuts. It will make you forget about the consequences, and it will ultimately take your focus off God and other people, and it will take your focus upon yourself. And when we focus on ourselves too much, bad things happen. See, if we are selfless and we focus on God and others, good things happen. If we're selfish, eventually bad things happen. So God actually had a remedy for this. And it's found in the book of Romans, chapter 12. The book of Romans was written by a guy called Paul who wrote to a cluster of churches in the city of Rome. And this is what he said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. So he's saying, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. The old King James Version says this, cleave to what is good, abhor what is evil. Basically, cling to what is good and don't even give what is bad your attention. And I'll give you an example. So in 2012, um, the church was good enough. My dad was retiring, and uh, I wanted to go and celebrate retirement with him and, you know, see, see them retire. He was the pastor, and uh, the church was, you know, doing a big thing for him. But we couldn't afford to go, so Generation Church surprised us and, and, and sent us. It was a great trip. But while we were there, it was just a couple of weeks before the London Olympics was going to start. And so we traveled, we're not from London, but we traveled down to London to, you know, go visit the city and see the city. It's a real neat city. And there in in London, there's a place called the Millennium Dome, which uh, throughout the Olympics, they were going to have like tennis and fencing and some different stuff going on. And then there's the Thames River, which is the river that runs through London. Then the other side of the Thames River, just by the Millennium Dome, is a place called Docklands, where they were going to have like boxing and stuff, and then some of the um, athletes' villages were going to be there. And so what they did for the Olympics is they built something called uh, um, the, uh, the Emirates Flight. And what it was, it was like this, uh, this almost like chairlift, this... Uh, um, uh, like a uh, thing that went up in the sky and you see them, what are they called? I can't remember now. What you see in the, uh, uh, like in, in the mountains when people go skiing, like to get them up on the mountains. It was like a chairlift thing. And what it was, it was all enclosed. And so it went up, went up really high and then came back down on the other side. So we're like, hey, let's, let's, let's go on it. And we're all for it. But then I looked at my mother and my mother has this like white look on her face because my mother hates heights with a passion. And it's not like she just like can hide it like I don't like it. She's like embarrassingly hates it. I mean, it's like ridiculous. It's like panic attack if she feels that she's like at a height. So, but we didn't care. We're like, come on, mom, we're going, you know. So we get in this chairlift. We get in this, uh, in this little capsule. 
And we get up to the top and we're looking around and the view is wonderful. You see all the landmarks of London. It's a great place and, uh, and everything. You see all along the river. It's wonderful. You could see the Olympic Stadium uh, and, and, and everything. And it's wonderful. We're taking pictures. And then I look at my mom and there is my mom in the middle. There's like a pole in the middle. She is clinging as tight as she can to this pole. And she is like, and it's like white knuckles, like white arms. It's like crazy. She's clinging so tight to it. And I'm like, mom, what's going on? She's just like, I can't take the height. And I'm like, look how, look, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And she would not even look. She would not look out at all. So me being the wonderful son I am, and I got scolded in first service for saying this, but I started trying to rock the thing a little bit. So, you know, just give, I'm like, you know, I didn't want her to fear. You know, there's nothing to fear. Look, we can rock this thing. It's fine. Well, I did it like twice, and the look I got told me, okay, you better stop. But as I looked at my mom doing that, it reminded me of this verse. Because she was clinging as tight. You couldn't take her away from it. And she would not even give the view a second look. She wouldn't even give it her attention at all. She was so scared. And this is what Paul is saying to the Romans. Cling tightly to what is good. Hate what is evil. Don't even give it your attention. Hold tightly to what is good. And if you hold tightly to what is good, you will find that you will start to experience real religion, which is life-changing, life-giving. I'll give you some examples of, of what is good. Spending time with your kids is good. Instead of just going to the store, buying them the latest gadget so that they can play with it so they don't bother you. No, spending your time with your kids, that is good. Sex inside of marriage is good. Sex outside of marriage is corrupted. When you focus on your family more than your job, that's good. I I heard of a, a guy that I know this week, younger than me, making more money a year than I will probably ever make in a lifetime. And he's got two young kids. One is just nine months old. And I heard this week that he was divorcing his wife. And I was like, so sad to hear. And so I asked, I was like, why? And, and I found out it's because the family was getting in the way of the job. Can you believe that? He, the family were getting in the way of the job. He came home. He didn't want to have to deal with the family. Because his life was about his job. He was married to his job. That's not good. Spending time with your family is good. When you, when you spend more time at work than with your family or focus more on work than your family, that's not good. Working hard is good, not trying to take shortcuts or be lazy. Communicating with God is good. Singing to God is good. Praying to God is good. Reading your Bible is good. Helping others is good. Actually, Romans 12 gives us a list of things that we should be doing so that we can cling to goodness. And this is what they say. Romans 12, son of verse 10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now that's good. Then verse 11, it says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That's good when you work hard and you serve God. Verse 12, it says, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When you're patient, it's good. That's goodness. 
Verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. That is an act of goodness right there. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Now, this is tough. We don't like to do this. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. So if people mess you up and you don't like them and, you know, they, you would refer to them as your enemies, God's saying if you pray for them, that is an act of holding tightly to what is good. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. That's what Paul says. Nobody likes to know it all. But don't think yourself better than other people. But instead, when people are hurting, be there. When they're laughing, be there. That is good. Verse 17, he says, never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can live in peace with everyone. Then he says this, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave it to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Then he finishes the chapter like this. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. See, when you do good, you stop the world trying to corrupt you. And when you stop the world trying to corrupt you, you get real religion. See, what Romans 12 just tells us there, it's some things that are so counter to what our culture says. It's so different from how this world tells us to live. But yet the world ultimately is there to try to corrupt us. And instead of the world changing us, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, you are the light to this, you are a light to this world, to this community, then you should be part of trying to change the world. And if you live in goodness and practice goodness, you will be a light and will change the world. So right now in your life right now, what are the values that you may be compromising? What are maybe some of the decisions that you are thinking about making that may open a door to that slippery slope of corruption? Several years ago, I was, when I was living in England, I was a youth pastor. And that's when I understood teenagers. Now, who understands teenagers? Jeez. But I had a bunch of leaders around me, and one of uh, the leaders in our, uh, our youth group was a guy called Aid. Aid was like the popular guy. He was like six foot tall. He had muscles like, you know, I mean, he had muscles in areas I didn't even know you could have muscles in. He was like, everybody flocked to Aid. All the girls wanted to be around him. He was, you know, he was it. Guys wanted to, to know him and stuff. And he was a good friend of mine. So I was fortunate enough to know this guy. He had a good job. He had a good car. You know, I mean, a good car back then. We were like 19 years old. I mean, that's like, what, a good car then was like a Chevy Malibu. I don't know, you know. I mean, it was better than some beat up like old car. But he, he was a really 
neat guy. I mean, people would say he's like cool, aid is cool. He would, he would like walk when he walked, he walked with a limp. I don't know why he walked with a limp, but yet he could run 100 meters under 11 seconds. I don't know what the deal is. Have you seen like those athletes that like walk with a limp and then like they're like super fast. I don't know what's going on. So Aid was one of those guys. You know, you know who they are. And so he actually he he uh, when he was like 16, he was like the eighth fastest under 16 year old in the nation of of, of England. And then top it off to top that all off, he was his sister uh, was a famous. British, or still is a famous British R&B artist. She's a real good, good friend, and, and stuff. So everybody wanted to be around Aid. So one day we went to, we took the youth group to a place called Cardin Mill Valley. And what it was, it was this place where, real beautiful place, where it had like these hills. In England we call them mountains, but really we don't know what mountains are. So we call like, like anything a mountain, like an anthill would be a mountain. So it really was a hill. And there were big hills all around, and then there was like a river running through the valley, and then at the top of one of the uh, the hills, there was like this big reservoir, and it was beautiful. And so we took the youth group up there, and we got to like the highest peak, which would probably be like Forest Hill to us, you know. I mean, that's probably what it would be. And we got to the highest peak, and we realized that sun was going to be setting in about 40 minutes, so we wanted to get all the kids down before it, it got dark. And so... There was a trail that could go down, and we realized it would take about 40 minutes to get down on the trail. So we decided, okay, let's take the shortcut. So let's just go straight down. So it wasn't like a full face. It was was like a slow incline that if you walk down slowly, you would be fine. So we told the kids, we're like, walk down slowly. If you have to get on your butt, that's fine, you know. But we'll, we'll cut off like 20 minutes of time. So I lead everyone down, so I'm going down, and Aid is right at the end. And I can, uh, well, I didn't know at the time, but Aid was getting a little impatient, and he wanted to get down a little fast. So Aid decided, hey, let's just start jogging now. So Aid on his own, like, they got all these, like, 13-year-olds around. They're like, I'm not running. But Aid's like, I'm going to start jogging. So Aid started jogging down, and that jog turned into a run, and that run turned into a sprint. Next thing I know, it's like something goes past me like a bullet. I'm like, what was that? And it was Aid. Aid is like going like crazy. I mean, remember, this is a guy who could run the 100 meters in under 11 seconds. And he is running like crazy, like crazy. And then he suddenly gets to a bit on the hill where there was this drop. Like just a little, like couple of feet drop. And he hits this hill and suddenly his head goes before his feet and he starts tumbling down. And we see him rolling down and suddenly he just disappears. And we're like, whoa, what happened to Aid? Quick, let's get down. So we're, we're, we're not running, but we're walking pretty quick trying to get down the hill. Well, we get down there, and there is Aid, this cool guy. He is lying in this prickly bush, and he's just looking, and he's like, oh, my back, my back. So us being good Christians, me being a good youth pastor, we just laughed our heads off at him, you know? I mean, it was funny. So, but... The story continued, he lost his car keys, and so somebody had to take him back home to go and get his car keys to come back, so we left after dark anyway. But 
when aid was coming down the hill, he just couldn't stop himself. Because it starts with this slow jog, this slow walk, turns into a jog and a run and a sprint. And eventually, if you are on the slippery slope of corruption, there is no way of stopping yourself until you fall over, you get hurt, and you find yourself lying on your back. See, once you get on the slope, it's very hard to back up. It's very hard to stop. So don't let the world corrupt you. Don't step over your values or compromise the values of God or the values you have in your life. For pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father is not letting the world corrupt you. If you want real religion, then you need to cling to what is good. You know, over 2,000 years ago, there was a man called Jesus Christ who came to this earth, sent from God the Father. See, corruption had set into mankind and there was no hope for mankind. And Jesus Christ came as an act of love from God. He was full of goodness. There was no corruption in him at all. And Jesus saw how people like you and me, we were just going down this slope like aid was running down that slope. We were going down this slope of corruption, this slope of sin, and there was no stopping us. But Jesus Christ came, he gave of his life, died on a cross, and in that act, it was like he stopped us in our tracks. The Bible says that once we were in the mire, we were in the clay, we were at rock bottom, but God has come and lifted us up and put our feet on a rock. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. When Jesus died for us, Jesus halted our slide down the slippery slope of corruption. And he took us up and he put us back on the mountaintop. And some of you right now in your lives, You may find yourself on that slippery slope. Maybe at one point you were on the mountaintop with God and everything was about God. Everything was about chasing after God. Life was good and you were chasing after the goodness of God. You were helping others. You you, you were more interested in others than than what, what you could gain for yourself. Corruption had not set in. But over the years or over the weeks and the months, corruption has come and you find yourself slipping down. Maybe you've compromised a value that you never thought you would compromise. But the good news is this. If you find yourself on the slippery slope of corruption, this man, Jesus Christ, is here to halt your slide. He's here to pick you up and take you back to that place that you once were. 